Twelve years ago, uh, on this uh, June month, I was married in Texas. And I remember at 8.30 of June the 7th, 8.30 p.m., I was driving Cindy uh, from the restaurant for the reception was held back to our hotel. And yes, we were done with our reception at 8.30. I know that here in the Philippines, that is when the reception often starts. Uh, but we began on time at 6 and we ended by 8.30. I had everything prepared. I had uh, put some rose petals on the bed. It was our wedding night. Everything would be perfect. I dropped her off at the hotel lobby, but I had forgotten to give her the hotel key as I went to go park the car. And so she had to stand there in the lobby. And it just so happened that there was a, um, a few groups of Japanese uh, tour groups that uh, were there. And they took pictures of her because they thought she was the model uh, at the lobby. But I don't think she cared. Um, and I didn't care if I had gotten the speeding ticket as I sped from the reception restaurant to the hotel. It was our wedding night. There were no more people to greet and no more people to thank. It was just the two of us now as a married couple. So it is also for the couple in the book of the Song of Solomon. They had made it through the time of their attraction and their dating and their courtship period. In purity, they had experienced a wonderful wedding ceremony, which we talked about last week. They had a wonderful wedding feast as well, which is not recorded in this book. And now, all of the passions they have kept in check can be expressed freely and wonderfully on this, their wedding night. And we're going to talk about their wedding night this morning. Aren't you excited? But as I also know that in our church congregation, there's a wide range of age from 12 to 90 years old. And so, don't be too worried or squirm in your chairs. I will use age-appropriate language. But if you do want a further study into this section we're going to talk about, uh, more than welcome to invite me to your adult small groups, and I will be able to unpack this chapter with uh, even more fervor. As you know, we've been looking at this Song of Solomon book, which is God's guidebook for love and romance and intimacy and marriage and life after marriage. Uh, this book traces the relationship between Solomon and this woman, and we've already looked through the lenses of how they define love, this thing called love. We've looked at attractions and the guardrails that come with it, uh, the boundaries and the values they have set to ensure a, a Christ-honoring, a God-honoring relationship, as well as how love can be celebrated in relationships. And now this morning we want to talk about passions as seen through the description of the wedding night. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 1, to chapter 5, verse 1. That is the section we will exposit this morning. Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 1, to chapter 5, verse 1. As you turn to it, let me explain for you what is passion. You see, in our worldview today, passion is often described as intense sexual love or something that is a strong, barely controllable emotion. That is how we define passion. And it is all of those things in the context of relationships. But true passionate love is much more than these things. It's much more than intense sexual love. It is much more than barely controllable emotions. We want to peer into the scriptures 
this morning and take a look to see how the Bible describes true passionate love. And I want you to see these characteristics of passionate love to see if they are characteristics of the love in your relationship. I will be describing for you this morning five biblical characteristics of passionate love. If you are single, then these for you are five ways you can be a romantic. Because we often equate romance with passionate love. And so these are five characteristics for how to bring romance into your relationship or how you can be a romantic. If you are married... Perhaps you can use these five characteristics as a filter, a a, a litmus test, a checklist to see if the love that you express to one another is indeed the biblical passionate love that the Bible talks about for you to exemplify in your relationships. Well, it is their wedding night and they are in their bedchambers. And Solomon begins in verses 1 to 7 of chapter 4. By describing his beautiful bride. Look at how he describes her. Chapter 4, verse 1. Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats going down from Mount Gilead. As I've mentioned before, you have to understand that this is Hebrew poetry. If you describe your wife as a goat, I don't think she would be very pleased with that. But he is taking the local natural environment and trying to describe her beauty. He says here in verse 1, two times in this verse, you are beautiful. You are beautiful. He then commends her on her beautiful eyes as he can see through the veil, as well as her wonderfully flowing, beautiful hair. I wonder how many of us as married couples have recently looked into your wife's eyes and told her how beautiful she was and really meant it. How many of you, don't raise your hands, don't embarrass yourself, but have you recently told your spouse how much you love them? Now you may be saying, pastor, we don't say that, we are Chinese. They should just know we love them. But how can they know unless you speak forth these words? Compliment your wife. Compliment your husband. Show forth how much you love them through words. Verse 2. Your teeth are like flocks of shorn sheep, which have come up from the washing, every one of which bears twins, and none is barren among them. The next thing Solomon compliments his bride on is on her teeth. When is the last time you looked into your wife's eyes and her teeth and said, wow, you have such gorgeous teeth. You have all of them. Fake or real, they are there. That's what he does. He comments on her beautiful white teeth. That's why he makes the allusion to a shorn sheep which has come out of the washing. You don't have plaque on your teeth. There's nothing stuck between your teeth. In a modern translation, perhaps, it can be said, Solomon says, your teeth are so white, it's as if you have simply just brushed them. Maybe you want to have a practical application that comes out of verse 2. Brush your teeth. Use mouthwash especially when you are going on a date or with your wife. Verse 3. 
Your lips are like a strand of scarlet and your mouth is lovely. Your temple behind your veil are like a piece of pomegranate. Solomon then talks about her beautiful lips, how red, how thin they are. There is no Botox, no need for cosmetic surgery. Her lips are beautiful to him. Her cheeks are reddish. They have color to them. Here's an interesting one, verse 4. Your neck is like the Tower of David built for an armory on which hangs a thousand bucklers on shields of mighty men. You may think that this woman either has a giraffe's neck or has an elephant's neck. I don't think that's a description of her. Solomon is uh, trying to describe this woman who, whose head stands tall, whose neck is proud. Uh, he is speaking of her regalness, her, her stateliness. She is a woman of respect, one who stands tall, one who stands strong. And that's how he describes her. Verse 5. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle, which feed among the lilies. Solomon then continues to describe her breasts. She has two, and then we'll leave it at that. Verse 6. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee away, I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. Verse 6 expresses his desire to be with her all night, to have all of his passionate love fulfilled they are very much in love and then verse 7 you are all fair my love and there is no spot in you tells her again how beautiful she was and by looking at her she has no flaw she has no physical defect in essence he says to her you are perfect I like what Jack Deere says. Every husband who genuinely loves his wife can say, to me, you are beautiful and there is no flaw in you. If you truly love your spouse, if there's that passionate love exemplified in your relationship, you can look upon your wife, you can look upon your husband, doesn't matter how many years of marriage you have in between you, and you can say you are beautiful and there is no flaw in you. Notice how he has described eight parts of her body, from her eyes to her hair, lips, teeth, mouth, temple, breasts. He has studied her. He compliments her. And yet there's nothing physical involved yet. Now, she may not see herself as being perfect or beautiful, as we are reminded in chapter 1 of this book. But for sure now, she must feel so special by him complimenting her and telling her just how much he loves her and how beautiful she is to him. Compliment one another. I remember the story of a couple. They were getting ready for bed one night. The wife uh, gets to bed and she wants her husband to hear what she's saying. And so she says loudly, when I look into the mirror... All I see is an old woman. My face is wrinkled and I'm flabby all over. 
But her husband was silent, didn't say anything. And so she turns to him and she says, Hey, can't you even say something positive to make me feel better about myself? He thought for a moment and then he said, Well, your eyesight is still perfect. What do you have to compliment your spouse on? Praise her for something. Men, when you praise the beauty of your wife with sincerity and make sure she feels loved and beloved, it will initiate a passion in her. doesn't matter how many years you have been married. Notice in these seven verses that everything is about her. Nothing is about him. There is only one reference to him. It is the pronoun I in verse 6. Everything else is about her. And here in verses 1 to 7, you see the first characteristic of passionate love. And it is that passionate love, number one, is selfless. And if you're taking notes, that's number one. Passionate love is selfless. Passionate love is about other people. It is the agape love that is talked about in the New Testament. It is a love that gives all without taking in return. Biblically, we can say that God loves us with a passion and that everything He does is for us. That's what the book of Romans chapter 8 tells us. And that's why He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on our behalf. It is because His love is a passionate love. It is selfless. That is true love exemplified by our Lord. And so it is in our relationship. If you desire to exhibit love, the passionate love that everyone so desires, then it must be selfless. Verse 8. Come with me from Lebanon, my spouse. With me from Lebanon. Look from the top of Amana, from the top of Senir and Hermon. From the lion's den, from the mountains of the leopards. Solomon continues by referencing her hometown, perhaps, in verse 8. She is from the area of Lebanon. She says, come from your hometown, although they are in their bedchamber. Amana and Senir and Hermon are places that are close to modern-day Damascus in the region of Lebanon in Syria. And then he says something interesting. Come from this area where there are lion's dens and mountains with leopards. What's he trying to say here? Perhaps he's trying to reference places that are fearful to her. Feelings of insecurity. Solomon is telling her in verse 8, You can leave mentally your home. Let go of your fears. Let go of your uncertainties. Let go of your insecurities. Focus on me. I will protect you. You can be secure with me. I assure you, you will be okay. Here again, as we've talked about, is the theme of security and protection in this thing called love. If you have passionate love for one another, then number two, that love must be expressed through the assurance of security. Reassuring, assuring the other person that there is security when they come into your arms. You see, love passionate love provides security protection 
for those who will now become very vulnerable. And that's why in passionate love, you cannot force one another in a relationship to do things they are not ready for, to experiment or try things they are uncomfortable with. Reassure them that it will be okay. And that's why passionate love must be expressed in the covenant of marriage. Because only in a promise, only in a covenant, can we let go of our insecurities and make us very vulnerable and say, here, I am yours. I know you will protect me. And that's why when one person strays in marriage, when we have intimacy before marriage, Oftentimes there is shame, there's guilt, there are insecurities, because no promise has been made, only passionate love on a superficial level, feeding the physical. The reassurance of protection must be there. That is how passionate love is exemplified. And that's what our God does with us. When He tells us about His love for us, He reassures us nothing can separate us from the love of God. Remember that? He reassures us throughout the Scriptures of what His love looks like, and His love is always protective. I remember the story of a woman named Dawn. Dawn had just finished reading the book some of you have read, Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus. It is a classic, they say, that talks about the difference between a man and a woman. Well, after she read the book, she sighed and walked over to her husband and wanted to share with her what she learned from the book. She tells her husband, Husband, sometimes women don't want men to fix their problems. You know, men are natural problem solvers. Women tell us problems. We've got three steps on how to fix it. And so she tells them, sometimes women don't want men to fix their problems. Sometimes it's better if men just put their arms around us and tell us everything will be okay. Don't fix our problems. Put your arms around me and tell me it's going to be okay. Do you understand, husband? Nodded his head. Well, the next morning, Don's car had a flat tire. And so... Her husband came out to look at it, gave her a very big hug, and told her it's going to be okay. And then he left for work. Well, reassurance comes in many forms. But reassurance surely comes not only in words, it comes in actions. There must be a feeling of security. There must be a, a feeling of protection even in love's passions. And you see this here in verse 8. Verse 9. You have ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. You have ravished my heart with one look of your eyes, with one link of your necklace. The bride puts herself in the arms and the care of Solomon as she is reassured that he will protect her and care for her. And she begins to express her love for him. She is now relaxed. She has let go of her insecurities and she's become very vulnerable. 
Perhaps she has unveiled herself, as verse 1 tells us, she was still veiled. She says, I will unveil myself. I will become very vulnerable to you. And so in response, in verse 9 to 11, Solomon praises her expressions of love and what it does to him. In verse 9, he says, two times, you have ravished my heart. In other words, he is saying, you are making me crazy. You've made me crazy. And he says in verse 9, I can't think clearly when I see that you are looking me at me with your unveiled eyes. You may think it odd that he refers to her as my sister. Seems kind of odd. Just to share with you a bit of a biblical background. Uh, sisters was a term of affection in the ancient Near East for someone's wife. I'm just sharing with you that background. I don't know why it was the case. I don't understand why a term of affection would be calling someone sister. But then again, if someone from the past were to come to the future and hear a husband call his wife baby, uh, they would have the same question mark in their mind. So it is what it is. And uh, he is expressing his love for her. Verse 10 and 11. How fair is your love, my sister, my spouse. How much better than wine is your love and the scent of your perfumes than all spices. Your lips, O oh my spouse, drip as the honeycomb. Honey and milk are under your tongue and the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. If you haven't figured it out already in verse 10 to 11, she is kissing him passionately. And he is enjoying it. He says to her, it is better than wine. The perfume she wears is intoxicating. All of his senses are aroused from sight to touch to smell to sound. And here is our third characteristic of passionate love. It is at number three. Passionate love is sensual. Yes, it is. There's nothing wrong with this. This is how God has made us. This is how God has wired us. This is how the God who makes no mistakes, the great almighty creator, has made us with passionate love and is to be expressed sensually. That is the function of passionate love. And there is nothing wrong with it. But it is to be expressed in the boundaries of marriage. Sensual love is beautiful. It is God-honoring when it is expressed in marriage. It is important for us to understand this, especially as followers of Jesus Christ. We need to recognize the power of passionate love. That's why two times in this book already, before they were married, this couple said to themselves, this passionate love must not be awakened because it is not yet time. They both understand the draw and the power of passionate love. They say it is not to be expressed. It must not be awakened until it is the right time, until the time is right, which is in the God-ordained boundaries of marriage. 
we must recognize the power of passionate love. It is indeed sensual, and it is to be expressed exclusively in marriage. Do not awaken that passion until the time is God-ordained. Verse 12. A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse. A spring shut up, a fountain sealed. In verse 12, there is a picture of inaccessibility. Something that is closed. Notice the image used here of a garden that is locked up. A spring that is suppressed. A fountain that is sealed. What Solomon is doing here in verse 12 is that he is praising his bride for her virginity. She has been keeping herself sealed until the day of marriage. And she is giving her husband the best gift that she can give. Which on that day is the gift of her purity and the gift of her virginity. My friends, especially if you are still single, your purity and your virginity is the best gift you can give to your spouse on your wedding day. It is something that cannot be bought. It is something that only you as the spouse can give to your beloved. Something that is very special. Now, I know in our church, in this service, there are those who have fallen in this area. God can forgive through His Son, Jesus Christ. We'll speak about that at another time. But the emphasis here is that purity and virginity is a special gift. It is to be celebrated. It is not as the world has it today in media that being a virgin somehow makes you any less of a person uncool. Because once you lose it, you don't get it back. It is to be celebrated. It is to be honored. And Solomon does that here in verse 9. He continues this in verse 13 and verse 14. Your plants are like an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant fruits, a fragrant henna with spikenard, spikenard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all the chief spices. In verse 13 to 14, Solomon extends his description of this very special garden, this very special garden with beautiful, attractive fruits and plants and spices of all variety. He's saying how special this garden is. Just like the exclusiveness, the beauty of her purity. Verse 15. A fountain of gardens, a well of living waters, and streams from Lebanon. Verse 15 is in contrast to verse 12. Here verse 15 speaks now about a metaphoric closed garden that is now opened it is pure it is right because each other's virginity is given to the other it is a picture of exclusiveness this garden has now been opened only to the one who they are married to and that is what passionate love is number four passionate love is exclusive it's special it's something that can only be given to your spouse and to no other. That is why true passionate love is exclusive. It is very special. 
And that, my friends, is the key to romance. You know, when you look at romance, everyone wants to be a romantic. What is romance? Romance is making the other person feel so special that they are the only one. They're one of a kind. They are exclusive. And so that's the key to romance. Passionate love or romance is expressed in exclusivity. Special love. A womanizer, a ladies' man, is not a romantic. He may know all the moves. He may know all the words to say. But that woman is not really exclusive. He is a player. He's like a white-fronted parrot. Say, what? What's a white-fronted parrot? Why did pastor bring an illusion of a parrot to a man like this? Well, if you don't know what a white-fronted parrot is, it's also known as a white-fronted Amazon. It's also known as a spectacled Amazon parrot. If you don't believe me, you can Google this, but this white-fronted parrot is very unique as an animal. It's one of the few animals that actually kiss. When a white-fronted parrot finds a suitable mating partner, they lock their beaks and they begin to kiss. As this kissing session drags on, you know what the male will do? It's a good thing you haven't eaten yet. The male will eventually vomit into the female's mouth. What a wonderful romantic picture that is. Now you may wonder, why in the world would they do this? Well, scientists, who well, I don't know how they would figure this one out, but scientists believe that the purpose of the male parrot vomiting into the female's parrot's mouth while they are kissing is a way by which the male is giving the female a gift. The gift of regurgitated food into her mouth. Doesn't that sound great? Yummy. It's quite disgusting, actually, if you think about it. But in all seriousness, that is the picture of a man that has been unfaithful or a, a woman that has been unfaithful. If someone sleeps around and they sleep with their spouse, that spouse has really slept with all the men and women they have slept with. It's disgusting. It's gross. Passionate love is exclusive. It's saved only for whom God has divinely appointed you to be with. So when you are dating singles, be very careful that you control love's passion because you must save that passionate love for the one that God has put you with. Verse 16 in chapter 5, verse 1. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south. Blow upon my garden that its spices may flow out. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its pleasant fruits. Chapter 5, verse 1. I have come to my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. The word spoken here in chapter 4, verse 16, and chapter 5, verse 1, is a picture of the consummation of marriage. The passionate love they have for each other is now expressed physically in union. 
And the language here used for sex is one of enjoyment. It's better than eating honey. It's better than drinking the best of wine and milk. Sex that is expressed in the God-honoring confines of marriage is something that is enjoyable. And that is number five, the fifth characteristic of passionate love. Passionate love is enjoyable. You know, that's how much God loves us. He creates sex for us to enjoy in the bounds of marriage. God is not some sort of cosmic killjoy that wants us to be depressed all throughout our life, to be a prude when it comes to being a Christian. God says, in marriage, enjoy the gift of sex that I give you. Look at verse 1, the second part of it. Eat, O friends. Drink, yes, drink deeply, O beloved ones. Who's speaking here? I don't believe it's the friends. They're not crashing his bedchamber. I believe this is God speaking. He is the only one present in the bedchamber with the king and this woman. It is him who has put them together as a divine appointment. And God invites them and he says, enjoy my gift. Enjoy passionate sexual love. You see, God delights in what delights us. And when sexual intimacy occurs in the right time with the right person from God's perspective in marriage, it's meant to be enjoyed. You see, intimacy in any other form, in a dark corner somewhere, in the backseat of a car, in a motel with a person other than your spouse, is never sexual intimacy that can be enjoyed to its maximum pleasure because there will always be an element of guilt and there will always be an element of shame associated with it. That is only right. Once you are with your beloved, within the vows of matrimony, sex is meant to be a source of pleasure for both the man and the woman. There should be no shame. There should be no guilt. And that was definitely the case here with Solomon and his bride. They were enjoying each other immensely. What a wonderful gift from God to be shared in the institution of marriage. Why in the world would anyone want to share this wonderful gift with someone who is not their spouse? Passionate love as God so desires it is to be enjoyable and it can only be enjoyed in the bounds of marriage let me close with this illustration there was a man who was walking nervously around a very gigantic supermarket pushing along a grocery cart in his nervousness he crashed into another man's grocery cart The second man said to this first man, watch where you're going. The first man said, I'm sorry. I'm rather worried. I I think I've lost my wife. I've been looking for her for the past 15 minutes in this massive grocery store with so many aisles. The second man said to the first man, me too. I'm looking for my wife. I've lost her amongst these many aisles in this gigantic grocery store. The first man said, well, why don't we look for them together? 
Second man said, great idea. First man said, well, what does your wife look like? Second man said to him, well, she's blonde and she's blue-eyed. She's big, luscious lips and she's wearing a tight red dress with a plunging neckline. The second man said to the first man, what does your wife look like? First man said, forget my wife, let's go and find yours. It's a funny story, but it's also a sad picture of how our world defines love these days. Love is so superficial, we express what we think is passionate love through words and through superficial action. That a mere thought, a mere descriptor, a a mere image changes our perspective. True passionate love is expressed in selflessness. It is selfless. It is reassuring. I will protect you. You can find security in me. You can trust in me. That's passionate love. It is indeed sensual. But it is to be expressed exclusively one to another. And it is meant to be enjoyed. Praise God for that. God loves us so much that he gives us passionate love expressed in sex to be enjoyed. I don't know about the passions that reign in your relationships. My prayer for you is that true passionate love will mark your relationships. For those of you who are not yet married, keep those passions in check. For those of you who are married, guard your hearts, but enjoy the passion that God has given you. Expressed through mutual encouragement, reassurance, selflessness, and just delight in it. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the picture of what is biblical, passionate love. Because our world has so convoluted it that it's simply a suave man saying the right words or a woman who presents herself in a manner that is, as the world would say, sexy. But help us to understand what passionate love entails, that it is more than those things. It is a love that self-defers to one another. It is the agape love of the New Testament, the love that gives all, about the other person. Help us, those who are married, to guard our marriages, to find that it is so special that we want to keep it to ourselves and to our spouse alone. And those things, Lord, help us to enjoy because you are a good God and you delight when your people delight in the boundaries that you have set up. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you that you speak about this topic so that we have a guideline by which to live by. Bless your people this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.